0: When something like that it goes down and happens, it's like, is the goal to return to what you were doing before, or is the goal to like become a more fully expressed version of yourself?
1: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Dharma Talk, episode number 17. And you may be able to tell from my voice that I've caught a little something Summer bug, but you know we're on a schedule here, and I promised you a podcast episode, so that's what I'm gonna give you every Thursday. Check back. So here we are with my definitively non-podcast-ready voice introducing you to my guest this week, who is Mr. Benjamin Sears. Ben, it was one of my first ever teachers. I used to take his class down at Bikram Yoga Lower East Side, and. In that, in the time since then, we've both changed and grown quite a lot. Um, He's doing all kinds of amazing stuff. He's got his retreat center in the south of France, which I've been to, by the way, and it is an experience not to miss. Uh, He's plucking herbs out of the backyard in his private little villa uh, outside of Nice, and then. He has a Michelin-starred chef prepare them into a four-course meal that usually ends in an impromptu cheese course, if I have anything to say about it. Um, So if that sounds cool to you, you should definitely check that out. We don't talk too much about Lux Yoga on this episode. We talk more about some of the more esoteric concepts related to this show and the idea of Dharma and your path. But the other thing that we do talk about that's a bit more pragmatic is his teacher training. So some of the things that you can expect when you listen to this interview are one, Ben's going to tell you about how to find and constantly recalibrate your path through action rather than rumination and avoid paralysis through analysis. He talks about leaving room for improvisation in your life and your routine so that you can have a complete arsenal of experiences to draw from when your circumstances and cha- and challenges change unfavorably. We kind of joke about Rumi in the era of Instagram, but on a more serious note, how to honor and respect a master of his craft, as Rumi was. And then finally, we talk about how he developed his signature sacred geometry framework and what compelled him to create a teacher training and empower other teachers to share it. So I can't wait for you to check out this episode, hear the interview, we'll get right into it after these announcements. Yogis, I've got a whole lineup of special events coming your way this summer that I'm excited to share with you. And I'm gonna rattle them off in order of most serious to most lighthearted and fun. Okay, first of all, I'm assisting Jared McCann in his 300-hour quote-unquote advanced teacher training at Lighthouse Yoga School in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, this July. Now, it's advanced in the sense that we will be working on sequences that include advanced asanas, but really the more advanced part about it is the intensity of the spiritual practice or sadhana. Every single day is going to start with seated meditation in a group, and you'll Take away a practice that you can carry forward for the rest of your life. Uh, I did this training myself last year, and this year I'm helping out with it. It's going to be a lot of fun. Next, if you're not really interested in becoming a yoga teacher, you can still do the teacher training, but we also have another option for you, which is a 30-hour intensive over the Labor Day weekend. Uh, This one is four days of intense practice with posture clinics, um, yoga philosophy training, and lots of meditation as well. This is a great option if you don't want to make the time or financial investment of a teacher training, but you really wanna deepen your practice. And then the last thing I wanna share with you is, also in July, in between the two modules of the teacher training, I'm gonna be in Chicago for the We Are Yoga Vacation. It's taking place at 105F, Chicago's original hot yoga studio. But they're gonna be yoga classes of all different styles, different teachers teaching all the different classes. And we're gonna take excursions too, so it'll be fun. We've got Pitchfork Music Festival going on, Chicago Cubs games, if that appeals to you. So here's the deal. I've got a special 10% discount for you, my Dharma Talk listeners, my followers, for any or all of these three events. You can apply that 10% to your tuition for teacher training or the immersion or a four-day pass at 105F for the Chicago vacation. So to get that discount code and register for the events, head on over to henrywins.com events. What's your purpose? What's your vision? What mark will you leave on this planet long after you're gone? I'm Henry Winslow, and you're listening to Dharma Talk, the only podcast where I interview inspirational yogis on how they're changing the world in their own unique ways. Whether you're still searching for your purpose or already walking the path, I hope these stories get you excited to live your dharma. Hello, Dharma Talk community. Welcome back to another episode. And today I've got my friend Benjamin Sears on the show. Benjamin Sears is an international teacher cited as a quote-unquote master by Yoga Journal. In 2007, he opened Lux Yoga, a legendary retreat center in the south of France, which I've been to, by the way, and now leads sacred geometry vinyasa teacher trainings worldwide. Forever a student, Benjamin is a former athlete who used yoga to heal from a litany of injuries and surgeries and is committed to orienting students toward a healing path. He draws upon empathy, experience, and his studies of forest, katona, Mitra, ashtanga, and bikram yoga, as well as meditation and movement modalities, including the Edo portal method to teach what works. Ben, that's quite the intro there. Welcome to the show. I'm so happy you're on.
0: <laughs> I was just, uh, you know, I was sitting here wondering if you were reading it with a straight face. It's kind of funny, like sitting here, knowing you, you know, as a friend and, and, and a long time ago as a student. And um doing this interview, which I'm honored that you, you know, asked me to come and and, uh, and join you on, but also listening to you read a sort of, you know, wrote bio about me. And I was really wondering like what face is he making right now as he's reading this this bio that was. It's all
1: smiles, me. baby.
0: Yeah, all smiles. Smiles are good. Um so anyway, thanks, man. Thanks for uh I know that you reached out to me, you know, right in the beginning when you started this and my travel schedule made it kind of hard, and I'm kind of hard to nail down, um, but I, uh, I'm i glad that we made this time, and I'm looking forward to getting into uh, whatever it is that you want us to get into.
1: Yeah, me too. Totally. Yeah, you were one of the first people I reached out to before this project had even launched or come to fruition, and um, I'll just say that patience is a virtue. I'm really happy that, that we're making it happen. So we always are well, very kind. Yes. Yeah. We always start with the same- <laughs> You're like, I know,
0: I know. I, I, know I, know I, I'm
1: I, I know I'm best kind. I know I'm kind. We always start with the same first question today. Will be no different. If you've been listening to the show, you might be prepared for this. What does the word dharma mean to you? And what is your dharma as you understand it today?
0: Well, that is a that's like a that's a big question. That's like a cleanup hitter question. And um, so i I'd like to. I, I will give you a meandering answer as i um, as I'm sort of as I tend to do, but um, that's
1: the best kind of answer for a podcast. Yeah,
0: I I, you know what I mean. My understanding of the word dharma. This is just sort of like let me lay the let me lay the groundwork for to for for uh, um, for the answer. My understanding of the word dharma is that it comes from a Sanskrit word dur, which is loosely translated as basically everything from Sanskrit is into English as righteousness, and so my understanding of dharma is that it's essentially uh, ref- reflects one's righteous path. Like, if you are Dharmic, you are following the, sort of, the, the universal laws that place you in your uh, personal track. So it's like, what is your personal manifestation of whatever is universal, you know, energy or, or um, you know, prana or, or, or prana when it, you know, coalesces as prakriti to make stuff happen. You know, prakriti being these, like, you know, three forces that come together to make, to make life. And, uh, and so being dharmic is like, are you following a path that suits the container, your personal container for this unit, these universal energies and the personal container is, you know, it's your life, it's your body, it's, um, all of the things that come together to make you, 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 right. And if you're a it's like you're you're out of balance. Like there's this beautiful movie, this beautiful film um, called Coyote I don't know if you've heard of it, um, but it, it it was made I think in the '80s. And the is a Hopi Indian or Native American proverb that means life out of balance. And the music was done by Philip Glass. It's like it's very dramatic um, and very long, uh, powerfully visual film with no words or narration. It's just All sorts of very creative shots of the Earth and what we as human beings have done to it, and so you'll get like these shots of uh, you know highways from very high up, and it almost looks like you know blood running through the body, all the brake lights, but it's also like terrifying. It's like my God, we've covered the Earth in cars, you know. And so um, when I think of a Dharma, like being out of Dharma, I think of Koyaniskazi and sort of um, and, and. and uh, operating in a way that's out of balance. Um, and then when I think of Dharma, um, I think of from a traditional perspective, like the the story of the Bhagavad Gita, you know, the metaphor of Arjun, the warrior, not wanting to fight the battle against his own imbalances or his own past or his own patterns. Um, and then uh, him putting faith in in Krishna, you know, to sort of operate, to, to drive his chariot, to be his mind, to um, and uh, to to embody ironically, like Krishna is this embodiment of universal love, but at the same time he's like leading this battle against uh, a dharma, you know, which is um, which was which was how the whole battle started. And so Arjun, and, and I could go on about this forever. So I'm going to try to cut it shorter. But um, essentially, so Arjun is like, hey, you know, I don't want to fight that's my family and the family just represents, you know, his, his patterns, but his Dharma is to be a warrior. So the, the, the sort of sum total, of the whole thing is like, Hey man, if you're a warrior and you're not going to fight, who will, you know? So he then picks up his, you know, picks up his bow and he, you know, and he does, and he does his work. Um, so that's, I guess that my, my understanding of the traditional con- uh, conceptualization of Dharma on a more modern and, and personal level, I really feel that Dharma, uh, is an ongoing, um, is, is, is an ongoing process of figuring it out. Like I don't, I think that sometimes in yoga, one of the ways I've been getting a lot of these emails from like yoga journal and stuff like that about like how to make yoga more inclusive. And like, I have other thoughts on that stuff, but Um, One of the ways I think that we can make yoga more inclusive is like not to project so much this idea that like we as yoga teachers have it all like figured out. It's like I know my dharma and now everything is perfect and I'm just going to like chase down, you know, continue on my path that is bathing in rose quartz colored light. It's like (laughs) I, I feel that, you know what I'm saying, like I feel that dharma is a constant unfolding. And there's always, you like, you get knocked back and you get knocked off course and the thing shifts and changes. And I think that one of the things that's crucial in whether it's like in physical asana practice or in like trying to understand who you are and where you're going in your life is to acknowledge when there's a turn in the road. Like when you can't keep driving straight ahead all the time unless you just want to smash into the car in front of you, right? Like sometimes... You know um, that that's actually I I, I heard Naveen Mike and, uh, lecture a long time ago, and that was like one thing that I really took away, and it's something that is is near and dear to my heart in my process. Um, so I think that Dharma is represents a constant unfolding, and I think that um, it could be. You know, we could be, like, very literal and say, okay, Dharma is figuring out, like, what do you want to do with your life, right? Like, you know, from a career standpoint. And those primitive needs, like, you know, uh, money, food, sex, and water, like, that stuff's important. I feel like you do have to figure those things out in order to live, uh, live, live Dharma. Because if your primitive needs are, like, you're really struggling with that stuff, it's very hard to find time to, you know, to, to live your spiritual life. And eventually I think the idea is to integrate the spiritual life into the career life. Right. So, um, on the one hand, there's like figuring out your career and what you want to do with your life in that, from that perspective. And then on the other hand, it's like figuring out what kind of person you want to be. And then also like what your, what your core values are, right? Because if you have certain core values, then regardless of the, the, um, challenges that life places in front of you or the shifts that may have to occur. It's like you might think like I'm going to be, you know, I mean, look, when I was a kid, I was like, I'm definitely going to be a professional athlete. Like I'm going to play baseball, basketball and football. I'm going to be the first one to do all three. And then you grow up and you realize like that shit ain't happening. you know. So um, you have to, you know, you have to be willing to take the different uh, the different turns that life gives you. And I think core dharmic values are what can allow you to um, be a little bit more malleable and accept that things shift and change uh, you know, as, as life progresses. So if I were to try to put it in one sentence, it's like dharma is just living in a way that feels like it's right for you, you know? Yeah. And, and in order to get to that place, there might be a lot of, uh, a lot of upstir within you because um, sometimes in order to get to the place that feels like you're going in the right direction, you have to go through a lot of unfamiliarity, and unfamiliarity can feel wrong, but it's not necessarily wrong, it's just unfamiliar. It's like you can have the same thing in a yoga posture, you get a really good adjustment, and often it will make you feel off-center because you haven't been centered. So now you've been using all these like sort of, you've almost been making accommodations to allow yourself to balance, for example, in a posture, and then you get put in the center and you're like, well, I'm gonna fall, this must be wrong. But Mm -hmm. it's more a recalibration.
1: Yeah, recalibration. Um, and then, that's, that's a really smart word to use for it.
0: Oh, thanks. Um, yeah. I love compliments. So anytime I say something smart, if you just want to say like, oh, that was great. Good job. You know, <laughs> say more of that. I'm happy.
1: <laughs> well, you know what I really uh, liked most about your response, um, honestly, was, was this piece about figuring out who you are first before trying to understand what you should be doing. I think there's this common um, pitfall that people tend to find themselves in where they think, if I can do this, then I can have this and then I can be what I want to be. But really I think that's backwards. It's more like, Mm. I know what I want to be, so I'm going to be that. And if I can be that, if I can embody that, then, okay, then I'll have the things, then I'll be able to do the things. But Uh you know, it's kind of a, it's kind of a shift to, to focus on what your values are because like you said, when you hit those twists, those turns, those unpredictable kind of shifts in the external path, if you've got the values set, then you can use that as your compass to take you in the right direction.
0: Absolutely, and um, I, uh, I'll, I'll sort of I'll, I'll jump off of what you said. You know, there's um, a beautiful uh, a statement that Desikachar, who was the son of Krishnamacharya, you know, the guy who wrote Heart of Yoga, which I think is a great um, it's a great like yoga starter book. Um, He's a master at sort of taking, making it as simple as it can be, but no simpler. And I think that's an important piece of teaching as well. But um, uh, Desikachar, he said that your whole life you have actually been striving towards peace and oneness. And I'm paraphrasing. I don't remember the exact quote, but he said your whole life you've been striving towards peace and oneness because your whole life you've been chasing something And the insinuation or the impression was that once you got that thing, you would be happy. So it's like all of the striving that people do, you know, as as I think sometimes yogis get a little pedantic where it's like, oh, don't be a materialist or don't want that or don't want this. It's like actually just understand that the wanting actually comes from a place of wanting to feel full. And so sometimes it's just about like, you know, different skills for fullness Mm -hmm. as opposed to, you know, um, being stuck in that same track. And I think, um, I was trying to remember what you said about, uh, the, um, you know, figuring out who you are and then, um, what, you know, figuring out who you are and then figuring out what you want to do. And I think that, um, on, on the one hand, I agree with you. And on the other hand, I think that there is, there's a, there's a, there can be sort of a simultaneous unfolding of those two things. And I think that like doing something, you know, like the, the, the path of action, like of karma, right can act, help unfold what it is who you want to be and what you want to do you know because yeah. like if I look at like my, my experience in teaching you know um I didn't know I was going to be a yoga teacher you know I went you know and did a teacher training about uh like 12 or 13 years ago um just simply because I really knew that what I was doing at that time didn't suit me and I had experienced um a really uh a really, um, just deeply saddening loss in my life. And, uh, this, the yoga class was like the one place where I came and I felt like I'm at home, you know, and I just wanted more of that. And then I was lucky because I came home from the training and the studio at which I had been practicing. Um, the, the owner immediately was like, well, you're teaching two classes tomorrow and I've got you on schedule for, you know, 10 a week, you know? And, um, and you know, at that time, about 13 years ago, uh, you know, um, male yoga teachers were more rare. <laughs> and, um, and so maybe I was a little bit of a commodity cause I was just like a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, without that, I, you know, with, without that doing, I may not have had the opportunity for the, uh, for the unfolding. And so I think that space needs to be made for, for like reflection and sitting, but you can only spend so much time thinking about who you want to be, right? You have to like there has to be some I'm gonna go put myself in the you know, in the the fire and see what burns.
1: You yeah, know? you gotta you gotta put yourself out there to receive the intelligence from the world that can that can give you that direction. I, I hear you on that. That makes a lot of sense. And I, I think it's sort of yeah. it's a two way conversation, this being and doing. You know, eventually. There, I think there is no real doing once it starts to come into alignment. They, they become the same thing eventually. But mm-hmm. you know, it is a constant well, recalibration, kind of like you said.
0: Yeah, I think that, um, I, I, for me, I understand the idea of the alignment and being in a track and sort of having momentum, mitigating the feeling of effort. But at the same point, it's like, you know, creating more ease. I have not fully realized or wrapped my mind around the idea as much as I feel like it is a beautiful concept. Like, I just have to be totally honest. I have not realized to a point where I feel like, you know, like as the Gita says, that I can do completely without without, uh, regard for result or that, you know, um, there's not still some degree of like, grunt work and just picking up the shovel in, you know, in doing this stuff. Like I'll give you an example, um, you know, in uh, in what we do as teachers and, you know, the more that I've the more um, public my uh, that I've become and, and the more sort of recognition I've gotten, the more that the machine needs feeding, you know. And so there are all these like logistical and clerical aspects of this career of teaching that, you know, I that I can find very frustrating, but at the same point, it's like part of teaching. Exactly. Not part of teaching at all. But like, if I want to do the teaching and I want to connect that way and, you know, be of use in that way, it's like, you got to do this other stuff. But to me, it still feels like heavy lifting of light things, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, for sure. Ben, I'm really Um, curious to hear what your practice looks like these days, especially considering how, you know, your, as you said, your recognition has started to come up and you're, you're getting a lot more pressure to do all the different things at once. How, how are you managing to stay with yourself, stay with your sadhana? What does your yoga look like now?
0: Okay, well, uh, um, that's a, that's a broad question and, um, it has sort of I guess it has a you know has there's there are specific pieces of it, and then there are more theoretical pieces of it and the, the theoretical piece is just i i am i my practice looks like me um constantly working on accepting what's going on right now uh and m- acknowledging my own part in creating what's going on right now uh, and moving um moving from the portal of scary pattern self-flagellation into the heart portal. And I know that this is in some ways an overused uh, metaphor, like go from your head to your heart. My belief is that these two things are not separate. I really think the whole like body, mind, spirit thing, like every cell is full of all of the same uh, movement and energy and access. And so I don't, I think that it's useful to separate the things, you know, in order to understand better or to like have a, have a way of communicating about them. But I do feel like the whole thing is one, you know, it's like when you're, when, you know, like I'm, I'm injured right now. I've, I've been through, um, I've been through a lot with my body in my life and, um, you know, from sports and, 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 poor training methods early on and falls. And, you know, and it took a really nasty fall and it compounded an old shoulder injury and, and I had to have shoulder surgery. And it's like when my show, when you get cut open like that, it's like your heart hurts. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, how is my shoulder any separate than from my heart? I feel like I'm wounded in my fucking heart. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so I don't think the whole thing is, is, is that separable, but, um, I, uh, I got off track a little bit, but, um, so, so my practice—it really does. That's a crucial piece of my practice in my seated meditation right now. And so, one thing that I'm doing, and this will bring it back kind of to earth, is um, I do two breathing practices every day. And again, I don't want—I really don't want this to sound like, oh, I do like seventy-nine hours of meditation every day, and you will never reach this pinnacle. It's like sometimes I don't get it done. Sometimes I gotta get up and go do another thing, you know. Um, but in my my sadhana you know, uh, looks like in the morning, which I, what, what I've been doing for a long time is I do a series of, of, uh, sort of kapabati Kundalini influenced pranayams. And then I do uh Sudarshan Kriya. And then I just sit for a while. Um, and then in my second practice is I do Tumo breathing, which is a Tibetan breathing that Wim Hof, uh, really popularized. Um, and it's, it, it improves your breath retention ability, but it also gets me into a space of like real quiet where I can feel my heart. And so a story, um, that I had is I was in an experience of very, probably my deepest visualized meditation ever. And, um, I had this experience of going, uh, this is where people will either get really interested or just like turn off <laughs> the, the podcast. Um, so I was, I was in this meditation and I was being guided, uh, by a shaman and, um, or a teacher or whatever you want to call it. And, Um, I was following my third eye and then this teacher, uh, placed his hand very strongly on my heart. I was lying on my back in like a, you know, corpse pose situation and was pressing on my heart. And I had already gone very deep. And what happened at that moment was like my, uh, third eye just opened and I started flying through this purple vortex. And I kid you not, man, like this is what happened. And I started, um... And it was like the most euphoric sensation I've ever experienced. And I started laughing. Like it was so awesome. It was like flying and seeing and laughing. It was like all – you know, it's like imagine like you're – just imagine like all your best friends and you're all skydiving next to each other and then someone tells like the best joke ever. (laughs) Like that's what it felt like, you know. And and so I had that. And then what I found – and then what I found – in doing my own meditations and, and you know, I, there are all sorts of different meditations that I do. And one of them is just simply, simply to follow my thoughts and like kind of rather than trying to stop the thoughts or like go blank or go to one thing, I'll actually allow myself to follow my mind, which is sort of counter to a lot of meditation techniques. And sometimes that shit can get like really dark, you know? And I, and, and, um, and I do have a tendency towards sort of analysis and, um, over self analysis. And especially, you know, in this healing process that I've been going through, a lot has come up for me with that. And what I found after that experience was that if I really, uh, if I really do it, like if I really do it, I can feel myself going into that portal of darkness and I can put my hand on my heart and I can go right back into that space of that, like wild euphoria, purple vortex thing. Um, so that's a practice that I'm trying to work on, um, very much whether I'm doing it in a seated, you know, very sort of organized meditate, like this is meditation time kind of thing, or if I'm simply, you know, sort of starting to feel down or, or if I, you know, if I notice myself going through that, you know, uh, terrible process of self-flagellation, um, which I think is very human, you know, I think it's very human. And I think that that work is an ongoing process. There's no one quotation that's going to, like, fix it for you. You know, um, sometimes no you need
1: quote. help. Um, no Rumi quote for that? Yeah, yeah.
0: Rumi quotes are my favorite. God, yoga has just destroyed Rumi, you know. Um, it's interesting because I think, you know, a cliche is, is interesting. Cliches are, are, are cliches because they're true. But... Um, I think that something like Rumi, right? Like, I, you know, I joke about, uh, about yoga teachers posting Rumi quotes that they Googled, you know, on, on, you know next to some photo of, of an asana. But here's the thing. It's like I feel like that's a disservice to Rumi. And you know why? Because this guy was like a master you know, a spiritual and literary master. And I think that like, if you want to quote someone or use someone to promote yourself, because the reality is everyone on the internet is looking for exposure. And if they're posting a roomie quote, it's because they think that that quote will reflect on them in some way. And people can deny this all they want. But I know the truth because, you know, I know everything. (laughs) and um, I'm the arbiter. Uh, Hopefully people are getting the sarcasm font. Um, And, um, but I think that, you know, uh, that degree of expertise deserves more respect than like, just let me throw this one quote here. You know, it's like, at least say what it means to you or how have you interpreted it or, you know, make it your own in some way, because that shows that the time has been taken to honor the, um, the, to honor the master really. Um, and I think, you know, for me, that's, that's something that's important. Um, as far as you know, what my physical practice looks like right now, um, you know, before I got injured, my physical practice was a combination of um, uh, sort of had a consistent thread of yoga running through it. What I call yoga, which is basically for the most part, I practice my own sacred geometry vinyasa series, and I've designed those series in a way that um, they're, they have a. Um, they have a framework but they also have openness. So it's like depending on what I feel needs to be done in that day, I use the framework so that, so that I can organize my, my mind and do my spiritual practice because if it's – I think if there's no plan, um, it, it, uh, improvisation can be wonderful but it can also be limiting – Because often I think when people improvise, they end up doing the same improvisation over and over again. And then it's like, oh, but I'm improvising. It's like, but you're just actually repeating Mm non-consciously. So um, I repeat consciously, but I also allow myself space to go down different uh, uh, trajectories or tributaries of the sort of central river of the two sequences that I've developed. Um, And those are sequences that I feel like you know, give me what I need from a physical asana practice as far as managing my, my old injuries, keeping myself moving, you know, getting me into a state of meditation that allows me to have a nice, you know, a a real proper corpse pose rest at the end and sort of is a, is a, is a, is a jump into meditation. And so, and then the other piece of my practice was I've been doing a lot of research sort of, uh, through the world of movement, you know, things from gymnastics, uh, hand balancing to, um, lots of spinal wave type movements and isolations, um, you know, modern dance sort of things. And uh, so my practice is, is, is pretty diverse, but it is also um, pretty organized, I guess. Um, yeah. Do you feel like that gives a, a, a reasonable picture? For sure.
1: And, and I want to respond to the part about this, like, creating space for improvisation. One philosophy that you know, I've heard other people speak on that really has made a lot of sense to me is if you want to have the, um, I guess, creative stamina to be able to introduce new concepts, new ideas, new energies into your life, then it's really helpful actually to keep things that, don't, that you don't want to expend that energy on very systematized and routine. And, you know, the example that people often throw out is like, get your morning routine right. Like, have the exact mm. same smoothie for breakfast that gets all your nutrition in. So you don't have to waste any yep. mental space on that. And then you're free yep. to direct your creative energy elsewhere. So I think that definitely applies in a yoga practice. I think that's, that's, a, that's a clever technique. Totally.
0: Yeah. I mean, you could spend an hour deciding what you want to eat. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. But, like, if you do that every morning, you're not going to have much time to get stuff done. And then that also speaks to sort of what I was talking about from a more philosophical perspective regarding the practice, because it's like, you could spend a lot of time thinking about, you know, what's not right. And you know, why you don't feel good, or you could just like do something that might Mm -hmm. help you feel better. And, um, that's a lot easier said than done. Um, you know, and especially like, My since 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 my injury, you know, and and um, I was just given clearance yesterday to begin really like moving my shoulder. I can't put any weight, you know, on my hands or do any anything that remotely resembles, you know, what I guess people probably would think I would do in in a practice. But um, I've you know um, am really taking to heart the idea that yoga practice or whatever movement practice, you know, uh, meditation practice is really on in its essence about preparing you for the inevitability that life is unfair and shit will happen so it's like what are you going to do in that position and on the one hand i've really been sort of like m- mourning the loss of a lot of my practice over this period but on the other hand if i look at it when i'm talking you know as i'm sitting here talking to you feeling inspired because we're having this conversation i'm like wow a lot of this stuff that i learned over the past years because i was unwilling to just settle for like one practice dogma thing you know that a lot of people get stuck in in yoga I actually really did as much as I feel like I you know mentally maybe didn't prepare myself in a lot of ways I really did prepare myself because while I have not been allowed to use my arm for five weeks it's like I've kept myself going with spinal waves and you know FRC you know functional range conditioning type of movements to isolate joints and then of course my seated you know my breathing practices you know so so on the one hand it's like I I really miss doing a lot of the stuff that I love to do. But on the other hand, it's like I did have this arsenal of things to turn to um, when, you know, a lot of the a lot of when when in some ways it felt like the rug got got pulled out from under me.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's I mean, it's definitely true. And I think there's something uh, there's another truism kind of embedded in there, which is that you kind of have to hit that wall or experience some kind of conflict to appreciate the under the underlying benefit of some of the things that you've taken for granted in your practice or in just your background. So I think it's great that it it shed some light for you on, on the work that you've been doing.
0: Yeah. And I think, you know, it's like one, one thing is you have to, you know, when something like that, it goes down and happens, it's like, is the goal, to return to what you were doing before? Or is the goal to like, become a more fully expressed version of yourself? You know, it's like, you're not, you don't have a body to do yoga in. Like, that's not the point. It's like, you have a body to hold a spirit, right? And so um, it may be, you know, as time progresses, it's like, as you get older, as, as things happen, it's like, a lot of this, your practice may have to change. And I think, and I think part of the you know process of growth is as is being willing to acknowledge that and then seek out like other things that you can do that give you um you know a, uh, the the benefit that you need at that time and that sort of yeah. reflects back to what we were talking about with dharma where like um and I think this is important I think that in some ways you know you, your dharma like your greater dharma what you want to do for the world and what you want to do for yourself might be the same but the techniques that you use in order to affect that reality might change, right? Like just say like your goal, you know, like a common goal for a yoga teacher. Be like, well, I want to help people experience the kind of growth and peace that I've had from my yoga practice. And, you know, what you use to do that will shift and change over time. I mean, I I really think that, you know, even if you're teaching exactly the same sort of sequence of postures, for example, if the way that you're teaching has not changed over the course of years, then something is off. And I think the same thing applies to practice. If if you're practicing exactly the same way, and again, it's like, I don't want to, I don't want to like start ruffling feathers here with saying like, you can't keep practicing the same sequence because many people have a lot of um, spiritual success from doing that and that can be effective but I even think if you only practice like the same sequence then the way that you approach those poses should shift and change based on the things that you learn even just from a from a basic physical perspective you know as as uh, as time passes
1: things that you learn and also things that that change in your in your own being in physical and spiritual being of course like it yeah, yeah there's this reconciliation that has to happen as you go through time as you go through life where you know we all want to grow it's one of the fundamental needs that make makes us feel fulfilled
0: well we all we all say but, we do i don't know if we all really do but i, we I like think deep down everyone really do. does
1: i think maybe it not at the surface <laughs> yeah, no, level I, we yeah, have we hold joke. yeah we hold resistance for it but at the same time yeah. as we all want that growth we're also you know physically dying so like you have to you have to make those two things meet and sometimes it's Mm. like a hard decision to make or it feels like a a slight to the ego maybe to dial back the intensity of your physical practice but when you when you swallow that that pride and you and you make that change you learn Mm -hmm. something you know and that's the growth that we're really after underneath it all and i
0: think and I think that pridefulness can be used in a positive way. You know, like if you orient, let's say, your pride or your ego towards like I'm really going to, you know, pra- I'm, I'm going to be I'm going to take pride in practicing in a way that actually is good for me. You know right. what I mean? Right. Um, right. That's that's one way to use something that may never go away. You know, I have this sort of uh, this this ego thing. I think that um, I, I think that the ego exists until you're no longer in the body. You know, because the ego is the life force to some, to some, in some direction. But to me, it's like, what does it mean to lose the ego and and, and still want to be alive and strive and grow? Because there's some ego even in that, you know. Um, of course. But I think to me, it it means like just being willing to like see yourself for for who you are and see your patterns and and listen to other people, you know.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, okay. Speaking of ego and individuality and our unique oneness, um, Mm -hmm. you started to talk about it a little bit when I was asking about your personal practice. But I would love to hear the story of how you came to create your own system, which you're now teaching in teacher trainings, the Sacred Geometry system. Sure. How how did that come about, and and why?
0: Well, uh, it came about. Because I wanted to monetize my yoga teaching to a greater degree, and I didn't have a sponsorship for yoga pants. So no, I'm kidding. Um,
1: so, I'm sure there's still an so opportunity I, I for could, you out there to to grab that yoga pants. Oh sponsorship. man, somebody please pay me to wear you. your tights. <laughs> uh,
0: thanks, man. Um, so uh, no, I could I could I could hear you sort of like horrified as I was speaking through the. Uh, but the, the the truth the truth is. Um, uh, it's been a very long process and it's, and it's, there's been a lot of, uh, I guess, um, alchemy, you know, I would, I mean, alchemy maybe is a little bit of a, is a, is a little bit of a hyperbolic term since it means turning stuff into gold, <laughs> which I hope is what I'm doing, but, um, but but experimentation. Really, so the, yeah, the, the process of, of developing that, that, that system, which will, will undergo transformation forever you know what I'm saying like I I don't it's not I don't in any way feel like I have created the system and now it shall stand you know it's like no I don't think it works that way you know um, be, uh, but the the process of creating the system relates to my entire process in yoga which uh, dates back to like 1999 and having two herniated discs and going to Kundalini yoga, you know, and being this like buff college dude who was probably hung over and, uh, bouncing up and down on my butt, doing all the breathing exercises and being like, this is amazing. I feel amazing. But like I, something in me was telling me like, I gotta in, in before I go find God, it's like, I need to fix my back. And then I just fell into Bikram yoga. And, um, and that, you know, six months to like a year of consistent practice, I was not the person who was like, let me do a 500 day challenge right away. It was like that. It did not happen for me like that. It took a while. But after a year of consistent practice, my back felt great. And then what happened was, and I think that, um, you know, and I, I think that other people might have this experience also. So I think it's relevant is that like, I really, you know, I really don't feel that my body was designed for yoga asana or at least my body combined with all the stuff I did prior, you know, was designed to like be awesome at yoga asana. Um, but at the same point that means that I was, was designed for asana because I had to continuously find like different techniques to continue working into my pain body and working through my past and expressing a more potentiated future because like, what happened in every one of the practices that I immersed in is I would get to this point where I felt like I was just banging up against a wall of dogma where it's like, just keep doing it this way. And I'm like, but I, I try and now it hurts, you know? And so it was like, I think that there, there's, for some people doing one thing for a long time really works and there's no, I've, I have nothing against that, you know? But for others, and my experience was that um, it it seemed that my body would like get a certain amount and my mind would get a certain amount of benefit from a certain thing. And then there would come this moment where it didn't – feel like I would keep trying to push through it and push through it or get over the wall and it just felt like actually I need to find another route. And so uh, my system is really born of like the fact that over the last – you know, uh, 17 years of practicing yoga and movement, like I have never stopped trying to, to learn new things that help me feel better. Um, and then, and, 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 um, and that's what I've tried to do in this, um, in these practices that, that I've put together is, you know, take everything that I've learned and not put it all in there. You know, not like, you know, I'm not trying to make a, like a Jackson Pollock, like I'm not just dancing around the canvas throwing paint. It's like, I would say I'm, you know, more trying to make a Mark Rothko, who is one of Pollock's contemporaries, and take a few primary colors, and the primary colors are the concepts, and use those concepts to paint. Because if the concepts are strong, then you can use different tools to deliver those concepts. So it's like on the one hand, what I'm doing is very specific. I'm teaching people two sequences. But on the other hand, what I'm doing is very broad because I'm trying to get people out of the paradigm of like, well, is it li- you know lift your toe or um, raise your – it's like, no, think for yourself about what it is that you're trying to affect via the movement that you're, that you're instructing and then make a decision about it. But within that, I also want to give people a communication paradigm so that they can be clear in their own words. Mm-hmm. Um, so in the, in the practices, you know, there's, there's pieces of Kundalini yoga. There are concepts that come from my study of Bikram yoga, forest yoga, Katona yoga, Ashtanga, um, but I, I guess what I really want to stress is that there's nothing haphazard about this. Like it's really been labbed and the people who are doing these practices are coming out feeling um, feeling uh, balanced and, and good. You know, I was really proud of this last teacher training because I felt like everyone who came out was like I had a number of people who had done, a, uh, done multiple trainings. And they were like, I was expecting to feel like beat up at the end of this because that's how I always feel at the end of a teacher training. And I actually, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm worked, but I feel great. Um, does that, you feel like that answers your question?
1: Yeah. And I have no doubt about that. I, from taking your class and and knowing you personally, I'm sure that the, the trainees under your program did feel very empowered at the end of that. And, you know, I think it's so important, not only that, you know, the, why the rationale behind everything that you're teaching, but I think it's also really Mm -hmm. great that you, you give your trainees that why and that's not something that's universal across all teacher training. Sometimes, you know, you're given the tools yeah. but not really an explanation of of what's happening underneath that. Yeah. And if you and it, want a teacher to really develop and and spread your system or just spread the yoga, they need to be able to do that beyond just the scope of the 2 weeks of information they got with you.
0: Absolutely. It's really what it is is it's like a it's like a It's like, you know, it's a catapult towards your own uh, study and research, you know, and I feel like at the end of a program like that, people should feel like on the one hand, oh, my God, I have so much to learn. Like, where do I go? But on the other hand, they should feel like, well, I know I can keep going this direction and that will reveal to me more questions. And the thing is, if more questions are coming up, but then you have the skills in place to be able to 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 think on those questions yourself, Mm -hmm. then. Something good has happened.
1: Yeah. And also, it, it kind of comes back to this, I don't know, a, a mantra that I, that I hold very, very close to my head and heart, you know, the, the one thing that we call two things. And that's that you just really have to get interested in the process of whatever you're doing. Because as soon as you're, mm. you're happy asking these questions, then it's no longer about, like, landing at the answer. You're just happy being exactly right. where you are. And that's what every teacher yeah, it's should, like when you're a- be. are you know, happy to be inquiring these questions of themselves and of their students.
0: Totally. It's like when you're like, I remember getting, you know, a mountain bike for, for like a birthday or something one year. And like my nephew, I have a weird family. So my nephew, my, that I used to hang out with when I was a little kid is older than I am. Um, but he had a mountain bike first and he got the mountain bike and I was like, Oh my God, I want him. Then I asked for a mountain bike. And I was like, it's not like I didn't, I wasn't excited about getting the bike so I could get to the end of the trail that we were riding it's like i just want to ride the bike and feel what that felt like on the trail you know and i think that's really like if we can take that attitude towards practice then you know it's like that it's like a laboratory it's research and it's exciting you know then i then i think it's really powerful and one thing i think that is important and very helpful for that is community um being around other people that are like doing that kind of thing you know and uh And because it can, the, the, the solitary work and I do a lot of it is very powerful, but also I think as humans, it's great to be around other people and have that reflection and like have a laugh about, you know, what's happening in the, in the space at the moment. I mean, really it's like yoga asana especially is like pretty hilarious when you think about it. Like my, (laughs) my mom's ex-boyfriend used to have this joke, um, He's a, an artist, and a, and a, and you know, he and I used to have these long talks. And he would say that you know, when there was like a family event, and if there, you know, every family's got their friction, someone always triggers someone else, and all that kind of stuff. And so, whenever that would start to happen at my at my house, he would say, he said, well, you know, whenever whenever Ben starts to feel that there's a little friction coming or a clouds on the on the horizon of the of the family experience, he just goes out onto the lawn and twists himself into a pretzel.
1: <laughs> um, Pretty much, and
0: and so I, you know. <laughs> It was kind of yeah. It's kind of a refuge, right? And um, and at this, you know, at the same point, I I, I remember listening to an to an uh, interview with. With Manu Joyce, who you know, I think he's sort of like the the shunned uncle of of Ashtanga. I'm not, you know, I'm I'm not one to be quoted on that because I really don't know the inner workings of the Ashtanga community um, at all. But I, I heard a, a, an interview with him, or maybe I read it. I'm not sure, but he said, you know, it used to be fun. He's like, we used to make jokes during practice. It was only when the Westerners came that everything got so serious.
1: Uh-huh.
0: Um, and that to me was really telling because one of the things for me that has, that I really like, that I want from my yoga practice is I want community and friendship and laughter because I come from like a background of sports. And, w- and the gr- one of the great things about sports is not even playing the sport. It's like being on the bus on the way to the game and like laughing with your friends, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and I think that one of the great things that yoga can do is provide that for, uh, for us because community is something that's harder and harder to come by nowadays you know in this last teacher training it was like that was the best part for me was just being you know laughing with the students and and um and just and 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 connecting you know in that yeah. way
1: building those relationships well i'm really happy mm-hmm. to hear that your your training went so well um i know you've not you've got another one coming up uh what are the details on that and for anyone listening who might be interested, what should they know? How should they know if this is a good opportunity for them?
0: Well, they should definitely know that by the end of the training, I expect them to be able to levitate. um, And, uh, and, and and if not, they will not receive their 200 hour certificate. Um, So, you know, get, 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 get practicing on your floating now. Um, Well, uh, so then, so the next training um, is, to me is very special because, um, as some of the listeners may know, uh, I, I started running yoga retreats in the South of France 11 years ago. So this is, this upcoming summer is the 11th or maybe the 12th. I can't remember. Um, I think it's 11. And so we've run these, these sort of high end comfortable luxury retreats at, at a private villa, um, for quite a while. And they include you know, uh, sort of what's come to be known as really great local uh, farm-to-table style food. We do wine pairings, all that kind of stuff. And so, for this next training, um, that's the location. But what I'm doing is I'm taking this deluxe yoga retreat paradigm, and I'm and I'm kind of like I'm simplifying and family styling it um, in order to make it better support the needs of a training as opposed to a vacation. Um, so. It's going to be a very and also I'm limiting enrollment to twenty two people. So it's it's going to be a very unique uh, sharing of space. The nature around the place is amazing, and so I'm going to include that in the training. You know, we're going to be out in nature doing stuff. Um, so the location itself offers a lot um, because what I've seen from people just on retreats, walking into that space and the way they're able to shift, you know, partially because of a support that like no human being could even, you know, no human being can do what nature can do. It's like, you know, you're sad, you're depressed, get up every morning, watch the sunrise, you know, every evening, watch the sunset, see what happens, you know? Um, so, so just that backdrop. Alone with people. Because, you know, for me, it's like yoga and food. These are like two great ways to come together, you know. Um, And then as far as the program goes, you'll get a really – people will get a very powerful mix of pragmatic and esoteric. So it's like we do traditional yoga stuff, mantra, pranayama, dhyana, kriya, um, you know. But at the same point, it's sort of filtered through a lens of how does this apply to the modern, you know, to the modern yogi and how do you teach in a way that – allows you to develop your own voice you know how do you sound like yourself just talking when you're teaching and also um, learning the basics of postures you know I was um, this is something that's really important to me I think that one of the things that happens to a lot of yoga practitioners um, and one of the reasons we start to see injury in the yoga community is that humans have this beautiful sort of innate striving. Right. It's like every you see the posture and you just want to do it. And I think that's so beautiful to see that effort in people. But at the same point, it's like that effort can be the same thing that causes a problem down the road. So it's really important for me to like filter the effort through a lens of precision precision so that the effort can become grace over time i it's important to me that people get sort of a dynamic experience of practice i know people want to learn new tricks and learn a handstand, and we have protocols for all that but i also really want you know my students in 20 years to be like i'm glad i did that i'm still using pieces of it you know mm-hmm. um that kind of thing uh, awesome. Does that, awesome does that help you
1: yeah i love it um and where can people find out about that if they want to Oh, details. Henry, you're, you're so good, man, you're so good. <laughs> uh, so they can go to my website, which is
0: yoga, and there's an easy cl- uh, tab to click on uh, for trainings right there on, uh, on the website, yeah. Sweet.
1: Okay, Ben, I think now is as good a time as any to move on to what I like to call the prana round. And this is six rapid-fire oh, questions. I'm going to ask you to answer in minimum one word, maximum one sentence. Does that seem fair? You ready to do it? (laughs) Yes. Okay. In one word, why do you practice yoga? Growth. What's your favorite yoga pose and why?
0: It's a Square hips, extended side angle variation that I teach in the Sacred Geometry Vinyasa series, it's hard to conceptualize based on that description, but it is my favorite because it allows me to access a, a, a decompression in my lower back that I have not been able to get into any other way, and I've had the same response from students, that is it's just like, oh my God, I've never felt that feel so good.
1: If you want to feel that feeling, you got to sign up for Ben's training. All right, what's, what's the single best cue or piece of advice you've ever received from a yoga teacher?:
0: That is a very hard question, Henry. I don't know if that's fair.: uh,
1: Okay, so this one stumps people.
0: As a teacher, as a teacher, the best sort of it wasn't one cue. But my first mentor, who's a guy named Craig, gave me a way to self-reference my teaching, a way to look at my communication and whether it was effective or not. And that paradigm has carried me through all of the other things that I've learned and allowed me to take other things that I've learned and share them in a way that is um, digestible for people. As far as a cue that I've received in my practice – um, it's got to be something Anaphora said about feeling, but what, what exactly at this moment, I'm not sure.
1: For the the paradigm that you received from Craig, is there a way to mm-hmm. consolidate that, or, I- even just into surface level nutshell? Yep. Totally.
0: Um, simply and directly tell people what to do in a respectful way and observe how they respond to the instructions that you're giving and then reflect on that. Mm-hmm. Cool. I like that. So that's, that's about as simple as I can make it. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Okay. Recommend one book, modern or ancient for our audience. I know that you, uh, mentioned the heart of yoga earlier. So you can, mm-hmm. you can say that. Oh, one again that's definitely, can I,
0: okay. Um, well that's definitely one, uh, If you want a sort of um, a modern take on awareness, um, uh, a book that I have all my trainees read is is an essay by David Foster Wallace uh, titled um, This Is Water. And it's a short read and a good one. And then just on reading, you know, I I love to read. Um, I think that um, one, you know, for my reading practice, one recommendation I have for people out there is like have your, your sort of research book, have your your uh your storybook you know and um and maybe one other thing so that you know every time you go to pick up a book because basically anytime you pick up a book something something good's gonna happen right Mm -hmm. so it's like but every time you go to pick up a book you don't necessarily want to have to pick up the dense text that you're like you know sort of uh, uh, you know Climbing your way through to, to, to learn, you know, sometimes you can learn just as much from the from the sweetness of language and the beauty of metaphor that you can find in um, In a novel
1: Nice. Yeah, okay. Is yoga for everyone?
0: The one word answer is yes. However, I, I do strongly believe that um, a person, you know, teachers need to be willing to take a personalized approach and that's in balance with the universal approach because there are tremendous amount of like universal, um, uh, universal truths in some way that apply to all people. But then again, there are, indivi- there, there are situations in which you need to empower yourself as a teacher to be able to deal with individual disequilibriums. And even on a psychological level, it's like just sit and meditate and feel love. It's like for people with certain psychological disturbances, that could make someone way worse. You know, so um, I think, you know, as teachers, it's just about the more my experience is like the more that you understand and the more experience that you have and the more that you study and research, the more confident and empowered you feel in the decisions that you make because you can trust your own material.
1: Last question, Ben. How can our audience get in touch with you and how can we support you in your Dharma?
0: Well, I'm pretty easy to get in touch with. Um, my website is benjaminsears.yoga. I'm on Instagram a lot, and that's at benjamin.sears. I'm also on Facebook. Uh, my yoga page is slash benjaminsearsyoga. Um, as far as supporting me in my dharma, which at this point I feel is to uh, help people practice yoga in a in a consistently healing way, and I think this is something that's important. It's like we need to step up you know, if we as yoga teachers are going to be at the forefront of sort of the wellness world, which we are, um, we need to get our heads wrapped around the fact that just calling it yoga doesn't make it healing. And an individualized approach is important. And also a universal holistic approach is important. Um, and so that being my dharma, I guess the best way to support me in doing that is that if you feel that, you know, what I'm talking about or or how I feel resonates with you is um, to please share uh, my stuff, you know, and um, and come and study and uh, take these ideas and and think about them and and get in touch with me and let me know what you think and share them with people that you care about and uh, keep the sort of online, you know, and the global conversation going because I think that this online thing can go one of two ways. You know, it can be sort of a mindless scrolling that, that I feel like really detracts from connectivity, or you can pick your spots and engage and, um, help more people find, uh, useful information, um, in that way.
1: Yeah, I totally agree with you. I I think, um, the internet is, is taking a lot of heat for its, Deleterious effects on on yoga, but there really is the seed of great opportunity to connect with a huge community out there. We just have to be responsible with it. So, Ben, Absolutely. thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been really fun to talk to you. Um, I think this is honestly, this is like the perfect medium for you. You know, you love to talk. Oh, thanks. And I, and I love to talk yeah. to you too. So, thanks again I for coming on.
0: I wanted to like tell more stories and stuff, but we got very serious. So, maybe we should do this again. And, um, you know, with like, uh, call it like story time with Ben and Henry and, and I, I like, I can start by telling jokes or something like that, but I just, um, I just want to tell you, man, I, you know, I respect a lot what you're doing, you know, um, newer to the game, but so dedicated and and so, um, you know, so, 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 uh, humble in your, in your sharing of your, of your incredible physical practice. And also at the same time, I know that you're really doing the work and searching for the depth and, um, you know, all this stuff that you're doing. I think I just would like to kind of close with this idea that I just thought of, which is that, that um, you know, it's like people are going to spend their time and money somewhere, right? That's inevitable, you know? And I think that like, we all like, at one thing, it's like, I really have struggled with this idea of like marketing, you know, but something that 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 especially after the the last teacher training concluded, like I felt like, all right, you know what, people are going to spend their time and money. I feel really good about them spending it with me, versus other possibilities. And I feel the same about what you're trying to do with this podcast. You know, I think having these conversations is great, and um, you know, I, I have a lot of respect for how you're integrating, you know, the knowledge from your your life pre yoga into the yoga world to help uh, spread the word. Um, so big ups to you man
1: thanks appreciate that Ben Yes. so we'll we'll continue this conversation on the next time
0: sounds great man
1: if you got something out of this episode if you like Dharma Talk and want to keep it going please do me a huge favor and subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes I know it's not the most convenient thing to do but it makes all the difference in getting the show out there and more visible to other people who can benefit from it and hey, if you've got feedback or ideas or you want to get in touch with me, you can do that on Instagram at Henry Wins. Otherwise, I'll talk to you next week. And until then, keep living your Dharma.